Jazz. Jazz. Well, I want to talk about the dangers of discussing tuba here on Jazz Bastard Podcast 281. I'm Pat. Oh, uh, I'm Mike. I guess we're starting. I don't think people realize what we go through to, to produce some of these. I mean, there's actual danger involved. So I was playing some of these selections, which are all by tuba players, all led by tubaists, and felt something strange look down, and a whale was humping my leg. And I, you know, I'm, I'm living in Indiana. How did they even get here? We're thousands of miles from the ocean. But oh, you're making a joke. I actually thought you were being molested <laughs> by a cetacean. That's not funny. Yeah, it's like Moby down, down. But yeah, they, they get a little bit aroused when you play the, the selections from tonight's podcast. We're going to look at five tuba player-led dates, including albums by Howard Johnson, Jim Shelf. Let me try again. Jim Self. That's not a hard word to say. Dave Bargeron and Michel Godard, do you think? is? I mean, he's French, clearly. Yeah. Uh, Ray Draper and Bob Stewart. And aside from Michelle, do you know what the other five tubaists have in common? Kind of surprised uh, me. Flexible lips? I don't know. That's what. right. Large lung capacity. All of them were born between 1940 and 1945. So just, is this a way of saying that tuba is a dying art? I, you know, I don't know. I, I was really shocked. I'm like, how could this be? But. Ray Draper, uh, we're going to be uh, talking about the Ray Draper Quintet featuring John Coltrane, which came out on New Jazz in 1957, recorded the album when he was mm. 17. And so, yeah, he's exactly a contemporary. He did not live as long as some of the other players here with all these other guys. This is bizarre. They all were born in the 40s. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it seems like the great tubaists came out in a five-year span. <laughs> I don't know why, but um, that's what happened. Tubists. Is that how you say it? Tubists or tubists? I, you know, I don't know. I, I'm really clueless. I mean, you don't want to get it wrong. I feel like it's tubists because otherwise they yeah. say things like tubists, you know, or tubaists. Yeah. I I, it's tubists. Tuba players, uh, big Some. boys, blowhards. I don't know what you call them. Um, yeah, so you are a noted lifelong fan of the low brass, right? You enjoy... I love the low brass. That sounds dirty. Yes, you, I love you the low enjoy brass. a big bottom. Yes, that sounds I even worse. I love a big bottom. I always love a big bottom. Who doesn't love a big bottom? Yeah, that's what we're looking at tonight, inspired by a new release, Touch and Go, on Basset Hound from 2023 by Jim Self, and a guitarist whose name I'm not going to butcher. And um, I thought, you know, this is a really good record. Let's look for some other tuba-led dates, because I knew you would enjoy that. And oh, yeah. uh, came up with most of these selections. You came up with Bob Stewart's Then and Now on Postcards. What, what? I actually have two more. I actually have two more. Um, okay. Uh, okay. By him floating around amazingly. Oh, I see. That okay. I recently. Yeah, I've just been a lot of tuba in in my life lately. All right. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about what your impression was. I I both enjoy these things and realize that there's something about the nature of listening to a tuba led date that I I, I can't do three or four in a row. You know, I kind of need, it's like time for piccolo, time for soprano sax, you know, just kind of, it, it, it requires attention in a way because it's, it's kind of a tough instrument to make the lead. So do you want to do this chronologically or do you have another? I don't care. Would that be Ray going first then? Yep. It would be, uh, we begin then with Ray Draper's Ray Draper quintet featuring John Coltrane. 
1957 release on New Jazz. And, you know, I, I feel like each one of these albums has kind of a, a slightly different take on what it means to have a tuba lead the ensemble. And, you know, this I, I just feel like is kind of the the classic, right? I mean, this is, you know, from the yeah. classic era of jazz. It's Coltrane right before his pomp. I feel like there are times during his solos, I'm like, yeah, this is 1957. It's not 1958. I mean, he's just, he hasn't quite learned to self-edit yet. Not that he ever completely learned that skill, but it's like, man, there's a lot of notes. So, uh, yeah, this is, uh, Draper is born 1940, dies 1982 at the age of 42, if you know your math. And, um, Coltrane, you know, born 1926. So Draper, again, a very young man when this is recorded. He records a handful of albums and then kind of disappears as a leader. And then the rest of the group here, I've never heard of Gil Coggins on piano or Spanky Depressed, Depressed on bass, but what a great name. Can't go wrong with a bassist named Spanky. And then Larry Ritchie on drums. I mean, I, I, I don't know about you. I thought the rhythm section was fine. They were kind of goosing things along as they went, but not names I'm familiar with. So what do you, what do you think of the Ray Draper Quintet? Well, what's kind of fun about this is that there's a bass player on the album. That's what makes this so interesting. So bass, tuba was the original bass instrument in Dixieland and in early jazz, right? And so to have a bass player is basically signaling I'm not doing umpa, you know, two right. four. Sh- I'm gonna be a solo voice um, because we've got someone to keep time. My my job is not to keep time, and um, it's like Ray signals that quite early that you know timekeeping will not be my job, and I like that. Pairing him with Coltrane would not be you know anyone's you know first first choice in some ways because Coltrane is you know this is. Are we really at the sheets of sound already? Or are we almost to the sheets of sound in 57? You know, giant stuff? I'm not sure, but man, there's a fuck ton of notes. Yeah. Are these the sheets uh-huh. yet? Are they the buckets of sound? Are they the, yeah, he's, he's very loquacious on this day. Um, but um, so fortunately, Ray is not going to attempt to play, you know, sheets of tuba. <laughs> that would be awesome. I would Aww. like to hear someone do giant steps on tuba at the same speed. You know, there are players who could do that, I imagine. Uh, but yeah, I would like to hear someone um, attempt giant steps at, I don't know. We have, right. Yeah, that's coming up. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, you know attempt the same, you know, replicate Coltrane's, you know, solo. That would be kind of fun. Anyway, um, Ray's with the bass player. He's basically signaling, I'm a voice, not a, not a timekeeper. And, um, and, and he is a voice. He is an improvisational voice. He's a hard bop voice. He's, he's, he is not simply here to, um, uh, 
you know, be a big bottom. He's not a big bottom. He's a, he's a, it's, it's like, um, I think the analogy I would want to draw, maybe if I was going to draw an analogy would be, he is Billy Eckstein, right? He's, he's just that deep, melodious voice. And he can, he can bop with Coltrane. He can play, he's not going to play as many notes. I mean, I, I don't know if it's physically possible. <laughs> But he's, he's going to, he's gonna improvise in a bop idiom at a relatively fleet, fleet speed. And, uh, I, I find it absolutely, uh, compelling. I think, um, I like all of these. I kind of think Paul's Pal might be my favorite. Um, I don't know if you have a favorite on the album or a song that kind of jumped out at you, but, um, that was the one that for me, I kind of went, yeah. I like that. That that's working. I don't know. Did you have a favorite song or no? I, I don't know that I had a favorite song. I mean, this is a. I, I'm always confused. Like new jazz isn't quite exactly prestige, but it's sort of prestige. It's the same people, you know. And it's very much this is a prestige session. It's five tunes. Well, I guess it was an extra a solo tune, but really it's five major tunes. They're between five and nine minutes long. It's a quintet. It's just instead of a trumpet and a tenor, you have a tuba and a tenor. And then, as you said, the bass is doing the the, the kind of rhythm section duties. I, I think what I noticed about this record overall, because none of these are, there aren't really memorable standards. There aren't super memorable originals. It's kind of these, you know, you know, bop tunes. And what what it struck me was is a sense of things are moving along. You know, this is not a plotting record. The rhythm section keeps goosing things. Coltrane is just going on and on and on and on so many notes and you know uh <laughs> within it draper's doing doing great you know he is I, I think with a tuba you're just you're making you know wavelengths for low notes are just big beasts it's hard to get those notes out they're just you know they're kind of a physical different in, in, interaction with the environment than a, than a higher note and so it's you know he's doing about as much as you humanly can to play out strings of notes, you know, in these solos, it's a little awkward, but you know, he does, it does a great job. It's just that, you know, for me, I, I noticed with this album and all the rest of them, and there are some amazing players. I mean, these guys are all, you're just kind of uh, jaw-droppingly good, especially given that they are taking on such a hard task which is trying to use a tuba for something other than just oompa oompa. They're just, they're doing a harder job than most instrumentalists. You know, most people can't play tenor quite as quick as Coltrane, but for most of us, it's easier to play a tenor sax at these tempos than it is a tuba. It's just, it's just physically, in terms of physics, easier to produce a note. So, yeah, I don't know that one tune struck me. I guess I was impressed by how disciplined and tight this group kept and you know kept things moving along 
But at the end of the day, it, it's it's a prestige session, even though it's on New Jazz, and it I, I think it, it it does pretty well. I don't know. I guess they put it probably in the upper half of prestige sessions, but I wouldn't put it much beyond 60 percentile. I don't know. Other thoughts about just where this lands for you in this kind of jam session? Well, I just you know, I, I I can't. I don't I don't think I don't think even after the last two weeks, I don't think it's possible for me to get too much. Of tuba, I really do. <laughs> I really do like a lot of tuba. What was interesting was to listen to these and to try and make distinctions among um, among players and among voices. Not always the easiest thing when you have it on random. Um, I was trying yeah. to really yeah. to stay again in order, um, and was only about halfway through that. I mean, I've listened to all of these now. Every all of the cuts I've listened to at least three or four times, but uh, I was trying to go through them in order again. But um, uh, Draper, he does something. I guess some of the other guys did it too, but he might have been the first. He might have been the first tuba player in jazz to do this on the regular, which is um, it, and it, it's an interesting thing. It ends up making the tuba sound occasionally like a like a trombone because you know oftentimes when people played it in Dixieland, it's just you know it's like one breath, one note, boom, 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 and um, he he will sustain. And then, you know, play like legato or like, um, you play like multiple notes over a sustained breath, which, you know, the lung capacity to do that must be just ridiculous. I can't imagine any of these guys were heavy smokers. I, that's something I noticed that Ray Draper seems to do a lot of where he would, he would, it's essentially one breath. I mean, you can sometimes hear where he takes breaths, right? But, um, it's essentially one breath, but he'll, you can hear him very, you know, playing different, you know, it's a, it's a valve instrument, so he's playing different notes in a kind of phrase. And I think the trick when you do that, especially with a with an instrument like like the tuba, the trombone doesn't take as much breath, does it? And so guys can play sort of, you know, and it's a slide instrument, um, so guys can play sort of longer phrases, and they can, you know, depending on how fast they are with the slide, they can play lots of notes during one breath, but they can sustain longer phrases because it doesn't take as much fucking breath to make the damn thing vibrate. You know, whereas a tuba, I mean, I just don't see a tuba player holding a note as long as, say, J.J. Johnson. Right, right, yeah. Right, you know? And so for Ray to, to play phrases, he's gonna, he's not gonna be able to play as long of phrases. And then, so the trick is to find ways, I think, and I think he does as well, to find places to breathe that will they're not super noticeable where it's like, you know, he can kind of, it, it sounds more organic and smooth than that. And that must've just taken enormous effort. And it's a, like a physical feat of strength. I mean, it's skill, but it's also a feat of strength to be able to sort of do that. And these songs all clock in, in the, you know, seven minute range. I mean, right. they're yeah. bop. So fortunately, John's blowing the shit out of his tenor for, you know, two, three minute stretches, which means Ray doesn't have to, you know, hold up for seven minutes. But um, he he'll have to play for, you know, several choruses. And I can only imagine that it's exhausting. And uh, I'm just kind of gobsmacked at his ability to to do that, to sustain that. I felt like on some of the other dates, there were more voices and there were more there were the, the the hard bop date is if you're going to be a lead instrument you're out there naked in front of the the rhythm section and there's nowhere to hide 
And especially if the only other lead voice is John Coltrane, there's really nowhere to hide. <laughs> so this is like, a, this is really a ballsy date for Ray Draper, I think. Um, on all the other dates, they have, they have some places to hide, so to speak. And I don't think Ray's got anywhere to go. So he's got to be on his A game all the way. So I, I, I rate this a little higher than you do simply by virtue of the fact that the guy is amazing. It's just ridiculous what he, what he's able to pull right. off here, yeah. I think. Yeah, it is. It, it's so a, I like maybe a little bit more. Yeah. I, he is, it is a feat of strength, right? And I, I have a little trouble just, I, I feel like I have to concentrate harder to follow what a tuba is playing. And I think it's partially just the register and it's partially the, the as I said, just a little, literally the wavelengths, you know, <laughs> these low notes are just a little harder to kind of articulate. You know, I think he did an amazing job. I mean, clearly he was a fearless young man because the whole train, even in 57, you know, he's, he's not a slouch exactly. He hasn't quite, you know, 58, I feel like is the year. I don't feel like a lot of people believe that's the year where he really kind of, got clean, had been with Monk, and just, you know, kind of started just a rocket ship to, you know, becoming the cold train of legend. But, you know, in 57, he's certainly playing up a storm. And then just to have a, you know, a quintet date with you on Tuba as the lead is kind of amazing. But yeah, I enjoy it. And I think it does, sometimes prestige style sessions can bog down a bit. Like, you know, a blues that goes on too long. Or the rhythm section starts to sound bored. And I, I do think they avoid those pitfalls here. Uh, I mean, it helps that the, you know the tunes are not 10, 11 minutes long, which sometimes in prestige, you know, they'll really push it. And unless everybody's on their absolute A game, things start to kind of droop. And you know, this guy just he, you know, looking at Wikipedia, the crucial phrases are Draper began using heroin again, and Draper uh. was shot to death by a 13 year old in a gang. I mean, God, what an awful, terrible, that, you know. That'll do it. I, I was going to say, I, I almost, I meant to start this episode, but you started too quickly. Um, but that's all right. That's fine. I meant to start this episode by referring you to um, any of the videos, and you can check them out, and maybe you can even include a soundbite from one of them. Uh, any of the videos of Tim Storms, which is the best name ever. Tim <laughs> Storms is supposedly the lowest bass singer in the world. And he hits also a porn are, actor. It sounds like to me, but okay, yeah, okay, right with that name. Um, but but he's he actually sings in groups and stuff. And he has he hits notes that I think only elephants can hear. I'm not making this up. Like he hits notes that are so they're just ridiculous. They're like right. he hits double low C on the regular, which that's just insane. Um, but um, you can watch videos with him and I think they'll prepare you for life with tuba because, you know, you just have to hear this vocal cord resonate at, at a level that is just not humanly possible. And then that's kind of what a tuba does. Um, and then to hear someone sing like that, that's what a, that's what a really good tuba jazz player does. And Ray Japer is, is the, I don't know if he's the fastest of our guys, but he's definitely the one who I think he at least, is the soloist, so, the, the soloist of the singers, of the tuba singers. Because um, everyone else has a little more room to uh, disguise or blend with the ensembles that they choose, and, and Ray's got nowhere to go. Or, you know, just go after musical goals that are, you know, not quite the straight-ahead prestige quintet, which is, you know, clearly that's, yeah. you know, Ray is just doing, he's doing a quintet session of that era, but with tuba instead of trumpet. And it's, it's amazing that yep. he does it. Yeah, Ray's 
have no fucks to give. I can prestige with the best. So. There, there you go. <laughs> All right, what would be next? Let's see. Howard, right? Chronologically, that sounds right to me. found this album i knew i'd heard of howard johnson uh who i think plays both tuba and or played both tuba and baritone sax and he had a group called gravity which included a lot of tuba players and their first self-titled debut was released on verve in 1996 uh howard lived from 1941 to 2021 my sense of this session is it, it was done over a couple different sessions so they're different players and the rhythm section, two different bassists, two different drummers. There's euphonium players. There's a guitarist. There's keyboard players, including Paul Schaefer, who years ago used to be the keyboard player for David Letterman. And there's a whole bunch of tuba players, mm-hmm. including um, David Bargarin, who will appear again. I don't recognize all these names. Uh, there's a lot of them. And so this is kind of... I feel like Johnson is is the one that's interested in establishing tuba as a lead instrument in the jazz canon. This album has the most, you know, kind of jazz canonical songs on it. He really seems to be interested in, you know, playing tunes we know specifically by jazzers and showing how the tuba can do them. So what did you think of Gravity? Yeah, I I feel like uh, that's, I feel like you kind of summed it up right there, right? We get round midnight. I mean, there you go. Could there be a, a song more recorded or more squarely within the canon than that? Um, there the, are the other things in the canon in this on this album, but that is that's the big one, right? I feel like um, listening to this, this was the one that made me feel most in a Gil Evans bag, and I went and looked it up, and sure enough, Howard Johnson, sideman, 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 personed. Sideman? Is that a verb? He sided? He sided with? He worked with um, Gil Evans in some of those lush ensembles. And I sometimes felt like the arrangements, like Round Midnight's a good example. I sometimes felt like the arrangements here had a kind of Gil feel to them. Um, they had that sort of robust, lush, bottom, integrated sound. So it was fine. I like that. I mean, I like that sound. I thought that was cool. Um, if I have a complaint, and it's not, I don't know if it's really a complaint so much. Um, it's only a complaint because it's a tuba, tuba date. It's a tuba podcast. My complaint would be, this is less about 
the tuba as front facing solo instrument and it feels more like tuba as part of an ensemble. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's just after listening to old Ray go toe to toe with, with the, with the sun, I was kind of, you know, surprised to, this felt recessive in a way. I mean, it's really good jazz. I like it. I mean, you know, the guy cut his teeth with Gil Evans and Mingus and other really good arrangers. And so this sounds lovely. It's just, he's not the forward voice. That's not a knock. It's just kind of a different thing. Um, um, so yeah, I enjoyed this, but I also kind of felt like this will sound like damnation by faint praise. I prefer other voices arranging this kind of thing better. So I would rather listen to Black Saint and Sinner Lady. I'd rather listen to the individualism of Gil Evans than Gravity. Right. Three exclamation points. Um, which isn't to say this is bad. It's fine. It's just. If you rate the Ray Draper as, you know, on the 60th percentile of prestiges, and I rated it a little higher, I would rate this in the 60th percentile of this genre of jazz, I guess. It feels very much in a Gil Evans larger ensemble Charles Mingus bag to me. But with fewer um, colors, I, right? Because he's dealing with so many colors. low brass instead of... Right. The, the spectrum that, that somebody like Evans can draw on with flutes and clarinet and soprano sax, as well as tuba and French horn, you know, I mean, Gil Evans also likes a big bottom, uh, but he, you know, he's, he's got that whole range to work with where here Howard's trying to do it mostly with low brass. I mean, he, you know, there's some right. other colors there, but so you have a lot of tubas together and then it's, you know, how do you sort out these parts and you're kind of limiting the timbres you can get and, and just the textures because there's a certain similarity, right? So yeah, he does like Stolen Moments by Oliver Nelson and Big mm. Alice, which is a Don Pullen tune. Uh, Kelly Blue, which is, you know, it's a Wynton Kelly tune. I'm not super familiar with it, but I mean, again, a jazz tune. Yesterday's is one of those with Kelly Blue that gets a more than a 10-minute workout. And he does Appointment in Ghana by Jackie McLean. So again, I feel like this is very much, we're looking at the jazz songbook. Not, I mean, he does, Yesterday's is really the only quote-unquote Great American standard uh, songbook standard, but he's looking at kind of classic jazz songs. At some point, you know, sometimes playing them at great length, other times, you know, one thing I noticed is this, this we did five albums this time, and it was, you know, like close to five hours of music. It was it was a pretty lengthy playlist because several of these albums have, you know, CD length running times. And this was one that, you know, I kind of noticed. It's like, you know, it's good. I liked it throughout. It, it is a lengthy chunk of music, which given 1996, you know, we're right at the height of the CD's dominance and this idea that now albums have to be 60 minutes or 70 minutes instead of 40 or 45. But yeah, I... I would agree with you. This is really focusing on arrangements as much as it is blowing. And he's trying to show what the tuba can do kind of as a orchestral, I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, ensemble force. It's just, it's yeah. kind of, you know, well, I love them in ensembles. Having a lot of them together in an ensemble is a tricky proposition, right? Well, I'm going to walk back what I said a little bit. I mean, so like what I was complaining, it's not a complaint. Um, but like, it's maybe best exemplified on like, here comes Sunny Man, 
which might as well be called Here Comes Sexy Man. It's 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 very low brass arranged, as it were. But there, you know, on some of the boppier numbers, you know, the ensemble playing falls into that sort of Gil Evans voicings bag that I that I was talking about. But there there are bop solos on things like Kelly Blue. Kelly Blue has a good solo. I forgot about that. And uh, so there there are some some relatively fleet solos that will remind you of Ray Draper from time to time. It's just, it's, it's as if, imagine, imagine if in addition to Ray Draper, you had like five other tubas playing like, you know, ensemble behind you. That's kind of what, what this feels like with the heavy brass arrangements behind. And I, I, I liked it a little bit less than, um, Ray Draper. So, but I still think, I mean, I love no diss. I love all five of these albums. I, you know, as soon as you have tuba, I'm happy. I just, tuba, for some reason, puts me in a happy place. I don't know why. I just like tuba in jazz, and uh, I should probably see how many tuba in jazz albums I have, because I'm, I'm crazy for them. I think they're really cool. I don't know. It just puts a smile on my face. So I do like all of these, and if it sounds like I'm shitting on gravity, I'm not. I just like Ray Draper a little bit better, and I like other people who do the arranged deep voices. I like other people's versions of that better. But tuba, it's got tuba. And he should have had one exclamation point for every tubist. So it should have been like six exclamation points. Yeah, and I'm not sure. Again, I, my sense is is that this was a couple sessions with very different personnel, probably I'm assuming to do with just scheduling and you know, mm. uh, getting everybody coordinated. And so how many tubas were unleashed at a time? I don't know. <laughs> you know I'm sorry. I, Tubas unleashed. I just like that phrase. There you go. Tuba. Right. You know, stand back. You know, you think you've heard heavy hey, metal. What do, you anyway. call, what, what do you call, what is the group noun for a lot of tubas? I don't know. I can't remember whether it was, there was some big practical joker. Maybe it was Joe Minuti. And was it, he either called bass players or tubas and said, okay, we've got a gig. And he called like eight or 10 of them. Meet me at this corner, and then so he waited, and then like ten guys showed up with their cases, you know, all wandering around this corner. I cannot remember yeah, you, if it was two buzzers. What is the group noun for that? Like you know, it's I a flock know. of seagulls, a yeah. pride of lions, a it's battalion of tubas, probably. I don't no, know. we got to do better than that. Look out! Yeah, so many, and this this was by far the album that just is about sheer numbers. You know, it's an indigestion of tubas. There you go. Uh, yeah, it was it was a lot. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, this is uh, I mean, to me, I I think it's neat. It's a celebration of this instrument. Is it something I think? Boy, that's a great idea, aesthetically speaking. It's like no, I, I don't. You know, I think that probably a mixed group. You know, I've often said an, an octet to a tentet, you can do almost everything you want to do in arranging in jazz with that many people. But not if seven of them are tubas. I, I, you know, it's got to be, it's got to be a little bit more of a mix. 
I think we should put out to our listeners to send us emails for what a congregation of tubas should be called. Flock of tubas. Uh, I, the 80s would have been very different yes. if the group was a flock of tubas. Right? An indigestion of tubas. There you go. All right. So let's A something see. of tubas. I don't know what it would be. So we're real close here, but I think the next one would be Bob Stewart's Then and Now because my notes at least indicate it's from Postcards on 2000. So it's just before Tuba Tuba. And uh, this was one you, you found. Bob, I feel like, you know, each one I characterized... If the first one is just the the classic hard bot model and Johnson's is about celebrating the jazz canon, I feel like this one is kind of more of the crossover effort and also the one that really of all these selections has Stewart as a tuba player playing some more traditional bass lines. It's not Mm -hmm. entirely about showing off the tuba as a solo instrument, though he does do some of that. So talk a little bit about then and now by Bob Stewart on postcards. Uh, Bob Stewart. Bob Stewart. I was looking up. Let's see. Where is it? I wanted He's to look up. 1945. The, so. No, not that. I was looking up to see how many albums of his I had. I thought I had more than two, but I just have then and now. And then I got um, recently, I got mind the gap connection, okay. which came out in 2014. Was he on, was Bob Stewart? Who was on the Arthur Blythe albums? Was that? That's a good question. I'll look that up as you talk. Let me see. I don't remember who was on, like, Bush Baby and all that. Who was this tuba player? Yeah. Uh, or was it Bob? Might have been Bob, right? Could well, we're going to take a look-see here. Um, it was Bob. Bob was on Bush Baby. Okay. And Lenny Breakdown and Illusions and Blythe Spirit. He was, okay. He was because the guy. Okay. All right. Got it. Yep. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I mentioned all of that, sorry, there was a purpose behind that stupid digression, which is that on Connections, he plays several Arthur Blythe songs. And so uh, I just I couldn't remember if he was the guy on Blythe or not. I got lost with all the trombones. And we, and right. When we talk about Arthur Blythe's career a little bit on episode 117. But yeah. yeah, Arthur had groups that featured tuba. And I guess I had not made that connection, but Bob was the tuba. And, uh, yeah, he's well-featured on those groups. Um, definitely yeah. worth looking those up. The personnel here are uh, not super famous, but some are. So it's the cast of Gazillions is, again, Carlos Ward on alto. I think we've talked about him recently on something. Stanton Davis on trumpet. James Zoller on trumpet. I think I feel like he's in one of those Mingus legacy bands. Steve, how do you say his name? Touré? Tourer? I think Touré's correct. Trey on Trump, Marshall Seeley on French horn, John Clark on French horn, Fred Griffin on French horn. Hey, we also need a collective noun for French horn players, uh, a spittoon of French horn players. Graham Haynes on cornet and trumpet, Dave Burrell, Prano, Taj Mahal, of course, on guitar and vocals. Taj is somebody I, I 
had one of his albums early as a college kid. I haven't really collected him. And he does that fishing song, whatever record I had as a kid. He did the fishing song in that one, and then of course he does it again here. I mean, he only appears a couple times, but he's a very distinctive vocalist, yeah. Yep. Uh, so Taj is here, and then Jerome Harris on guitar, and Aaron Scott and Buddy Williams share drumming, uh, drumming duties. So that's how that goes. I, you know, I kind of like this. I like the, I, you know what? I like the Taj Mahal number. You didn't like it? No, no, I, 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 I'm fine with it. I'm just saying that it, the one about fishing, and he does a couple, and it's just, I, I remember that as a kid because he did some other record. Maybe it was just called Taj Mahal. I can't, I can't remember. Taj is a prolific guy that's been working for decades. As kind of, I don't know, a, a vocalist, guitarist, musicologist, somebody who's kind of exploring roots music. And I just happen to know that Vision song. I think it's a Vine song. Bitch gone fishing all the time, baby gone fishing too. Bet your life, your sweet wife, she gonna catch more fish than you. Many fish bad if you got good bait. Here a little tip that I would like to relate. I said with my board and my line, I'm going fishing. Yes, I'm going fishing and the baby going fishing too. This is kind of the the closest we get to the Dirty Dozen Brass party. One thing that we associate tuba with is brass groups from New Orleans with Dixieland music, with with party music. And this is not, I think it's a little bit more serious than just a quote-unquote pure party album, but this is kind of the tuba having fun and the tuba playing some bass lines. Whereas really the rest of these projects are very much about can the tuba be a leader? Can it step forward? Can it give up those rhythm section or at least some of the time duties and be featured? And Bob, you know, he, he plays some solos, but he's m- more comfortable with the kind of goosing things along, having fun tuba role. No, well, I, I Taj you know, is fine. Yeah, I like Taj fine. Yeah. It's in the title then and now. I mean, so, you know, the presence of something called King Porter Stomp is the, is a clue, right? I mean, King Porter Stomp is basically, it's a, it's a very slightly updated Dixieland, and he's playing the traditional role uh, on that. I mean, he, he gets a few licks in, but he's doing the bop, bop, you know, stuff. And I feel like this is almost, this is almost like a concept album, right? It's not a tour of the tuba. It's not a tuba tour. Um, <laughs> although, I would like to go on a tuba tour. <laughs> I would love to go to. I would love to go to somewhere. It's like a Disney ride where you're on top of a tuba going down this river. You know, I I don't know. I don't know. I just want to tour tubas. That just sounds like a lot of fun. A tuba tour. Anyway, it's not a tuba tour. It's not like tuba through the ages. It's like early tuba, and then like here's what we can do now. And so you know, something like Nubian Nubian Stomp. That is a more updated version of a stomp right it is not it is not uh old school even though bob is mostly relegated to boom boom you know he's playing the the bass role there that's more funky and kind of that's a more updated song it's it's not like the king porter stomp right so i feel like the goal here is to sort of say here's what we used to do and here's what we can do but ironically what we can do and Bob Stewart's doing still sounds like what we used to do a lot of the time. When he covers a Rambler, which 
You right. know, it was the title track off the Bill Frizzell album, which I've always loved since I was a kid you know, on ECM. I had not made that connection before now, but yeah, it, it, so he's, he's, you know, play with some heavy hitters and kind of, I don't think of this album as super progressive, but both the, the Arthur Blythe stuff in his own way. And then the Frizzell album that also featured Kenny Wheeler, which I've always found a charmer, uh, you know, is more out, I guess you might say than most of what's on this. So Bob has seen some action in the, in the left wing a bit. Yeah, so anytime we're on a, a now number as opposed to a then number, he, we get more of his voice. We get more of him as a as a voice. But even on Rambler, he still is going to do like the baseline stuff, you right, know. Right, right. So he's still always going to. I think he is the one of the ones that we're looking at who's the most comfortable with the um pa pa version of tuba. I mean, that's not to say that that's what he does all the time or only. He he gets away from that, but. He, he seems fine with being way up in the mix as the as the umpa guy um, a lot of times. So on Rambler, he he does both soloing and umpa, right? So I sort of feel like if I can paraphrase, his now is deeply based in his then or the then. Yeah. But yeah, this was fun, and you know, Tosh Mahal, come on, man, Tosh Mahal is to vocals what the tuba is to music, right? Tosh Mahal's got that sort of, he's not a deep voice, he's just got a very distinctive voice. He's instantly noticeable. I, I, I thought Fish and Blues was wonderful, I thought it was terrific. Yeah, I, I, this was, this was fun, and I, I think this was maybe the, when I think about like, funest with tuba i always like to imagine could ray anderson play on this date and this is the ray andersonist of the dates you know i feel like this is the funnest right. this is the most puckish of all five which isn't to say it's like a laugh hoot but it's the most comical or the most intentionally free-spirited happy i don't know I mean, he plays um, Lawyers by Ornette Coleman. So, I mean, but, but again, Ornette is not a po-faced guy necessarily. I, I mean, to me, it's, I enjoy the Taj Mahal stuff. It, it's, it, it's almost like a different realm, right? When you add vocals in and they're, you know, humorous and whatever, it's kind of just a different vibe than you get from some of the other albums where they're more steady as they go in terms of, of their content. You know, it's like Ray Draper. We're just doing hard bop here. <laughs> That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do it for 50 minutes. We're done. And this is more eclectic. But yeah, I think I think it was very enjoyable. And it again, this guy, I had not kind of connected the dots till we started talking tonight. But you know, Jesus, both to appear with both Bill Frizzell and Arthur Blythe. You know, that, that's that's some range. You know, this guy has uh, mm-hmm. seen some action. Uh, and again, you know, like all these guys, born in the 40s, so he's not a kid. And the presence of, I think, the other thing that makes him sort of puts him more back in the the older ish tuba sound is the presence of um a sax player and uh trumpets and cornet um the higher voices kind of relegates him 
to to that role. Although he's never just he's he's never just a timekeeper. He's always more than that. But yeah, it's fun. This is maybe the most fun of the five, I would say. I would agree, and I, I think it you know raises a question, and that any tuba led date is like, what are you going to do with this voice? Are you going to like Johnson just you know reinforce it? So you have lots of deep vibrating sounds, or are you going to have contrasting voices? So you've got the tuba and then maybe, you know, something just literally almost anything would be pitched higher or with a different texture. Do you add a reed? Do you add, you know, a high brass? How do you uh, come up with an ensemble sound featuring the tuba? Do you want it to kind of be the dominant sound or are you wanting to have some contrast in there? And he certainly tries a lot of different you know, context for this. Um, I, I kind of, I found I'm, I'm happiest when these, these sessions have at least one pretty different voice to kind of bounce off the tuba. And, you know, Coltrane plays that role to some degree with Draper. The next two we're going to talk about both have, uh, voices that are quite distinctive and pitched differently. And this certainly, I mean, Taj, in a way, as you say, is it kind of a singing tuba to some degree himself. But, I mean, there are different voices. And, you know, when the sax comes in, a very different sound world. And that, to me, is generally a good idea. I mean, that's probably true if you're featuring a soprano sax, you know, or whatever. It's just it's good to have some contrast there on the front line. But, yeah, it was an enjoyable one. And as you said, I think the most fun, the most accessible, certainly the only one with vocals that kind of, you know, gives you an in that way. Uh, okay. So to keep on the deep, keep it deep. There's a t- deep. T- tuba T-shirt for you. Um, go so deep. the next, go deep. The next one comes out just a year later. Dave Bargarin, I'm, I'm just, I'm probably saying it different every time. And Michelle Goddard, tuba tuba. They're both tuba players. Came out on Inja in 2001, and um, this is a quartet with Kenwood Dennard on drums and then Joe Barbato on accordion. So this is how they find a contrasting voice. They've got two tubas. Uh, Dave is born 1942 and Michelle in 1960. So he is the only tuba player here not born between 1940 and 45 uh, that we're happening happening to feature. Um, and then they add this accordion player for a very different sound. So we're going to Europe now. What, what did you think of tuba tuba? This is one of Giant Steps, too. Um, yes, yeah. <laughs> boo, 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 boo. Or rather, boo, 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 boo. I think the choice of two tubas as the lead voices is actually inspired. I think it's genius. Because they're going to, I mean, both of these guys can play really fast on tuba, which, you know, fast on tuba is like Johnny Griffin with a head cold. But whatever. They both can play fast. But having them as your two voices means that... You're not going to have that sharp contrast between Ray Draper and John Coltrane. You're going to have two guys playing at roughly the same speed, even when they're playing fast. And because they mesh really well, they do lots of interlocking lines and stuff that I find really 
compelling. So this was kind of fun. I was a little bit surprised because you proposed something else by this guitar guy and you had said something third streamy and I was like, this is classical. This is not third stream. And so I was like, oh boy, I got to listen to this, this French guy play with an American tuba jazz player. This is going to suck, but it doesn't. It's actually quite good. And I think maybe, I think it's fair to say the, this, if, if you're looking for fast tuba, this is your album. They play a lot of fast tuba. Fast tuba. Hey, that's a that could be like a cool name for something. Fast tuba. Anyway, and also it's both the fastest and the most experimental. Is that mm-hmm. the right word? I think so. So like on bass bees, they're fucking around trying to make the tuba sound like buzzing beehives. The musical quality isn't very high on that song, but it's fucking entertaining. It's like they're sitting around in a studio and they're like, hey, can you make tuba sound like this? And, and the other guy's like, I don't know. We try. And it's like, <laughs> they start, but the song's called Bass Bees. What the fuck? It's pretty funny. Um, uh, so this feels the most experimental. Their take on Giant Steps is, of course, not the speed take, at least not at first. It gets there eventually. And that's actually another canny choice. I feel like very smart throughout on this album. Um, because, you know, we all know how Giant Steps starts. We all know those chord changes. We all know that da, 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 da. And then, um, and we can all in our heads imagine John Coltrane doing sheets over that. They don't start with da, 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 da. They start out really slow and kind of, you know, burbly and low in the mix. And they don't really kind of get to anything resembling what we know of as Giant Steps until, what would you say, halfway through? You yeah, know, it's a pretty it's quick a- performance. It's only three minutes, but yeah, it, it, they kind of build into it. You know, they also do bebop standard Donna Lee, and they right. begin by playing Indiana, which is the tune it's based on, mm-hmm. and then they move into it. But yeah, I would absolutely agree. This is the technical showpiece, one that just shows what the tuba is capable of, kind of cutting edge tuba playing. And it is the one that is most willing to kind of stretch a bit and experiment a bit. So it's just pure sound like bass bees. Yeah. It's fun to be tuba. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I don't know, but I thought the accordion was a smart choice as another texture. Mm-hmm. I'm not a huge accordion fan often, but I think in this case it worked well. I think it's fair to say you're an accordion hater. I can be, if it's applied to the wrong place. I, I feel like 
your feeling about accordion is kind of like my feeling about you know I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a reluctant vibe lover. And, and, you know, in the right hands, I love vibes, but oftentimes I'm like, eh. And I feel like you feel that way about accordions, basically. And so to hear you say anything nice about an accordion player is a welcome surprise. Well, there you go. I'm just in a happy place today. So, yeah, in, in this case, I mean, it also just, you know, this is kind of, it's got a European vibe to it. They're definitely paying some propers to, you know, American jazz classics by covering giant steps and covering Donna Lee, but uh, there's also the experimental side to it. And again, just that, that voice um, kind of gives it that, that continental edge. Uh, but they're amazing players. I mean, these, and um, wow, you know, they're doing things you wouldn't think could be possible on this instrument. And I, you know, I, you were not fond of, I mean, to me, there are, what we're talking about is uh, this, um, Godar, however you say his name, uh, was involved in a session called Monteverdi, A Touch of Grace. And some of it is a straight Monteverdi, you know, somebody singing, you know. And then Steve Swallow, the bass player, is involved with it. And then there are other ones that are kind of more kind of jazz tunes. Um, it's just a blend, but it's not it's not like the whole thing is right in the third stream. Some of it is more or less just classical. And there he's playing a serpent rather than a tuba. What uh, is that? Well, you take a snake <laughs> and Stop you do it. things to <laughs> it that PETA does not approve of. Yeah, it's, it's a long, uh, snaky brass instrument that I think well predates modern brass. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not like a serpent expert. Let's see here. What do they have to say about it? Uh, the serpent generally known as upright serpents. Revised in the early 19th century. Looking at it, it's just, it looks like a, uh, curly snake that you blow oh. into with a mouthpiece. So it's, it's kind of much longer and skinnier than, than a tuba. Anyway, uh, that, I just, I, it was a great album to fall asleep to, but it's, it's not particularly jazz. As, as I mentioned, this is definitely, you know, it's a jazz album, but it does kind of go on to the, uh, experimental edge. And this was the one that I, I felt like they're doing their best to kind of show what can a tuba do? And also being willing to kind of, can a tuba go out? And it turns out they can. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I, I don't feel like this is a real dry, homeworky, experimental album. I mean, I think it's fairly fun. And there's certainly just some just jaw dropping. I guess whenever you play a tuba, you have to drop your jaw. You know, just technical showpiece things that, that most jazz lovers can enjoy. So I thought it was pretty good. Tuba, tuba. Tuba or not tuba? That is a question. Today, the answer is tuba. Anything else to say about tuba tuba? I like Valencia the best. It's my favorite cut. And that's the one that's kind of, what is, is it like a, it's not really bossa nova, but it's got a little bit of a lilt to it. It's a, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And, and there, there's, they, they are willing to play a little bit of a bass line, yeah. It feels like you're walking down a Parisian street. It's got a little, 
accordion and you know the bass is uh, the tuba is serving as a bass but then they get some melody too so it's kind of touches all the touches all the bases <laughs> see what i did there oh, there you go yes uh, that was that was a low one um yeah so there are, i mean that, that's another thing is when you've got these two guys who are, are collaborating they can switch roles and both and one of them can take over the tuba's role as kind of the baseline as the you know the impetus and the other one can then do curly cues on top of it so uh, but I, I thought it was very successful and again i learned i mean I don't know about you. I'd certainly heard of Howard Johnson. I was dimly aware of Ray Draper. I don't know if I could have named him, but I knew that in the archive of what Coltrane did on Prestige, there was a session with the tuba leader. And uh, I didn't know Bob Stewart's name. It's not a you know, no diss on Bob, but I mean, Bob Stewart is a fairly generic name. I not connected the dots. It's like, I've heard a lot of Bob Stewart. A lot of albums I like and admire feature him. I just hadn't made that connection. But yeah, I, I wasn't like, I had to look up these names, right? I, I was not really conversant with who are the great jazz tuba players. And, uh, I, I don't think any of these guys are less than excellent. And I think all these albums are enjoyable. I, I don't, I prefer having them one at a time, maybe with something separating them. Uh, piccolo trumpet, hmm. perhaps, or flute. But, but, you know, I mean, they're all, by their very nature, they aren't typically abrasive or screechy or you know it's the opposite of steve lacy on a bad day with a soprano right they're not gonna drill into your skull because they're nice and low Well, our final selection is is really the inspiration for this. Uh, Jim Self, again, a name I not heard of, but he is a long-serving and decorated tuba player. I think he was the voice on Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I mean, he's done thousands of studio sessions, and he's got roughly 20 albums as a leader. I mean, this is a well-recorded guy. He was born in 1943. And he's here with a guitarist who's been performing since the 60s. you want to say John's last name there? Nope. <laughs> we'll look at the it. two I of don't... us. Chiodini, maybe? I don't know. You, you want me to kind of step into the, the, the line of fire. Anyway, he's with a guitarist as a co-leader on an album called Touch and Go that was released on Basset Hound 2023. And um, is a tuba, or he also plays the fluba. Mm-hmm. Which is apparently a tuba oriented like a flugelhorn. <laughs> the tuba had a sex, tuba had a sex with a flugelhorn and you get a fluba. You need to look at pictures. It's really a trip. I did. And it's like, holy crap. Okay. Well, I've seen that now. Hopefully I can sleep tonight. Also raced out is on trumpet in the session and then Ken Wilde on bass, Kendall K on drums. So, this is another session where the tuba's voice is pitted against a guitar and a trumpet, so you have these higher sounds in the front line. And then, you know, the guitar is also providing any chordal duties, and you've got bass and drum. So, a nice quintet. I don't know about you, I thought this was a delightful record. Did, did you enjoy uh, Touch and Go? 
It has tuba, of course. I love that. The tuba guitar pairing is a good one. I like it. For some reason, um, low brass and guitar go well together. I think of all of those um, collaborations with trombone and guitar, the the, the John Zorn albums with um, George Lewis and Bill Frizzell. For some reason, low brass and guitar, I think, are just really a complimentary sound. They go well together. So you had me at tuba, but tuba and guitar... Hurrah! I, I thought it was a blast. I really liked it. The uh, the closest they get to comical and silly, um, this is fairly serious. It's not jokey. It's not po-faced. It's just a serious album. The closest they get to silly is uh, Ain't Misbehavin', which feels like it should have been written for tuba, even if it wasn't. Like <laughs> once, you, once you hear it with tuba, you're like, why would you ever play that song on anything except the tuba? I don't know. It just... It's like a tuba song. I mean, it should just be part of the tuba canon. All tuba players should be forced to learn a misbehaving. it's just perfect for tuba it just sounds it's just perfect and maybe someone should revisit original fat swaller compositions to see if there are other potential hidden tuba gems in there somewhere you know i wonder yeah play the jitterbug jitterbug waltz on that that could be interesting (laughs) get a hernia but it'd be great yeah i liked this i thought it was fine i thought it was terrific i didn't like it best but i liked it um again i i just this was just a pleasure to listen to all of these tuba albums. And I, I put a couple more just in rotation just for shits and giggles while this was all happening. So there was a lot of tuba around here, which is a nice offset to all the fucking Christmas music I listened to between now and the first of the year. So I've discovered that tuba is the antidote to saccharin. Um, tuba really works to kind of cut through all of the, you know, when you're listening to Manhattan Transfer Christmas albums, you really need something to cut through all of them. What you need is an intervention. What what are you doing that to yourself for? You know, that's not that's not required. You can just throw those away. It's it's not necessary. Dude, it's Christmas season. Come on. Yeah, I want to enjoy it, so I'm not gonna listen to Manhattan Transfer. Have you seen your Cheryl Benteen? Hubba Hubba. Sorry, I'm <laughs> stupid now. Anyway. Um, yeah, I like this. I, I like this fine. I didn't think it was great. Uh, I, I definitely liked the other, I like the other albums better, but this was fine. And I would be more than happy to pick up any Jim Self album on the strength of this. My big disappointment was that Suzanne was not the Leonard Cohen song. I really <laughs> wanted it to be the Leonard Cohen song. With Taj really Mahal to, on vocals, it would have been great. I really wanted to hear Suzanne, you know, boo, 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 boo. I wanted to hear that on tuba so bad. And when it wasn't that, I was like, oh, man, maybe on the next album they could do on all Leonard. Because Leonard Cohen has a low voice, right? So why not do an album of Leonard Cohen covers on tuba? Jim Self, send me a royalty check. I gave you a suggestion. I could be your producer. I'll just pick Jim. I'll just pick. Leonard Cohen songs for you to do on tuba. Think about it. Think about it. I'm, I'm like an automatic buy if you do that. 
and I'm sure I'm not the only one. Anyway, I like this. The only thing I didn't like about it was the title, which sounded dirty to me. I don't know. Well, the airplane coming out of the tube is a bit weird, but I... Yeah, I, right. You get an airplane coming out of a tuba, and it's called touch and go. I don't know. It just seemed. I was like, what? What is happening here? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, Jim is. Uh, I think I've said this already, but born 1943. So again, in that cohort. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think this was very strong. I think, as you said, the contrasting sounds of tuba and guitar were good. I felt like it. It seemed like, in certain ways, the wisest of the albums, in that. He seemed the most aesthetically able to express himself on the instrument. He seemed to have the range from comic to, you know, being able to more or less pull off a ballad with some expressivity, which is just an amazing feat on that horn. I like the mix of tunes. You know, this is one that never ventures past six or seven minutes. You know, it, it does not, you know, there's a lot of good uh, tunes on it, but the longest performance is just a little over six. And so it keeps moving along 12 tunes. I think that pulling out J.J. Johnson's Lament, which is kind of a, a mini standard in that, you know, uh, Miles Davis featured it on Miles Ahead, but I, I don't feel like it's an overplayed tune. And then deciding, you know, we're not going to make it a lament. We're going to make kind of a mid-tempo bopper. It was just a very clever thing to do with that tune and show that it's got really good bones and doesn't have to be just played ballad tempo. Um, so, yeah, and just in general, I, I felt like this album had good continued momentum. It never sounded rushed, but it, it never, it always seemed to kind of be moving along, knowing where it was headed. And I just think, you know, it, again, these are all amazing players, but, he may have been the one that I think convinced me the most of the tuba as an expressive instrument that you can, you can play it with some nuance. Cause I, I would hate to be like kidnapped by terrorists and say, okay, I'm going to play you five different tuba players, identify them. I, I <laughs> it's like, well, it, the one playing the low notes is okay. Kill me now. Cause I, I, it, I feel like it's a hard instrument to leave a fingerprint on. And that may just be my ignorance and not having listened long enough to these guys. And I, I assume gals played as well. We didn't find any examples, but, you know, I'm not trying to be gendered about it. But it just even, you know, baritone sax or at least different schools. You know, I think of Jerry Mulligan as a lighter end, Harry uh, Carney's his own thing. You know, there's a couple different approaches to it, at least. I don't know that I I've, I can identify different sounds on the tuba. There's a sense of, you know, who is fleeter, who's got better articulation who's able to kind of bring nuance to it. But in terms of just the voice of it, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know that I can distinguish them the way I could say, you know, there's half a dozen major ways you can play an alto sax or a tenor sax that sound very, very distinctive to me. And then within that phrasing and note choices, you can start to say, well, that's probably Hank Mobley. That's clearly not Griffin or whoever, you know, Johnny Griffin. You know, there's other choices you can make, but with tuba, harder. So yeah, I just I thought it was a very strong record. I mean, it, it caught my ear. I liked it well enough that I said, you know, maybe Mike loves tuba. We should just look at an all tuba session. What would that mean? And then I had to start looking up names. 
Because as I've said, even though I was familiar with some of these people's work, I hadn't got to the point of kind of putting a name to the performance and, and following their story through records. I had not picked up on Bob Stewart as a guy that appeared in these different places. It wouldn't have been that hard to do. There aren't that many tuba players out there in jazz. I just hadn't done it. Anyway, I, I, I strongly recommend I think this was at least as strong as any of the other records we talked about today, at least in my opinion. So I think it's good. I think it's very good. You're good. I liked it. It was fun. It was lots of fun doing tuba, tuba, tubas. That's right. Uh, lots of tubas, lots of low brass. And next time it's going to be all piccolos. But yeah, it's, all piccolos. Uh, what could be better? Hide it on the couch, everybody. It's going to get piercing. That's but right. yeah, but yeah, it's humbling because again, I, you know, every time we we go out to these corners, it's, I, I'm just amazed by how incredibly ignorant I am about how these people playing jazz. Like, well. There's a lot of tuba players out there, Patrick. Didn't know about them. For some reason, they're all born in the same five-year span, but they're, you know, they're out there. I'm sure there's younger tuba players. Listeners, let us know if you are following one or more. I mean, there was a couple different in the Henry Threadgill's ensemble. I, I can't, I don't know who was in that. Remember, he had that one that had two tubas and two guitars? Yeah. Uh, I wonder who was in that group. Maybe it was Bob Stewart. He seems to have been busy. Yeah. But I... He's an all tubist. All tuba all the time. Well, anyway, it was fun to go low for a while. Is this something new? Yeah, it must have been. Don't like resting on my laurels? No, you don't. Like to push myself? As you know. have pop matters you'd like to discuss today oh well, i already hinted it's a lot of fucking christmas music around here lately let's see what's going on now i'm you know i'm deep into the, the christmas shit uh, around here um and just sort of a you know a system that i got and it's just gonna be a lot of a lot of christmas music so no i don't have any pop matters my plug is this. Um, it's not the music, but if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. We started it and we binged all three seasons in like a week. It was a show that was recorded on Zoom during the pandemic by David Tennant and Michael Sheen, who were like buddies who, who've made a bunch of things together. And uh, the premise was that they play versions of themselves coping with the pandemic and so initially they can only talk to each other on zoom and they made it into a comedy show it's called staged and there are three sets and it's brilliant it's just fucking brilliant it's insanely funny i I mean i just don't want to say anymore you should just watch it there are three series each series is like six episodes long the episodes are like half an hour and it will probably go down as one of the great responses to the pandemic, uh, because you know, there's going to be a lot of, you know, there are a lot of shows that are being made or, you know, that people have made relating to that time. That one, I think, captures the sense of silliness, but also, you know, the sense of fear and frustration and boredom. And, right. uh, yeah. and it's both funny and poignant. And those two guys together are fucking hilarious. They are 
and now I want to see they've done two of those Neil Gaiman series called Good Omens. Right, I think I've seen the first series, yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, they've done two of those now, and I'm like, I'm all in. I, I want to see those because they are so funny on stage playing these versions of themselves. And their wives are on it, um, and they're hilarious. Everyone on it is fucking hilarious, and they have lots of guest stars. And some of the guest stars, they have, you know, Michael Palin shows up, Jim Broadbent, Judy Dench. And uh, Olivia Coleman, and they're all fantastic. So, if you haven't seen it, make a beeline and watch it. If you're not hooked after the first episode, then you should just turn in your human being card because you're not one of us. I, I think it's a great show. Already have, but sure, I'll, I'll take a look. <laughs> I think it was really taken back right. soon. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that is music. That is something else. Okay. But there you go. All right. Yeah, well, and I, you know, we've enjoyed for we saw the first season of Good Omens, a couple episodes of the second one. They they've got great chemistry. I mean, the, the show is kind of silly, but it's it's enjoyable enough, and they they are amazing together. So I saw one live show by Sean Imboden, tenor player here in, in the Indianapolis area. He it, it brought his big band to the Jazz Kitchen. I, I thought it was uh, well-arranged music, lots of energy. You know, he said that his big role model was, um, oh, what uh, Schneider. Is it Mar- Maria Schneider? Is that right? Yeah. And, you know, honestly, I probably like his stuff better in that it's a little bit more direct. Bayon was excellent, and you know, I right now he's trying to get the group recorded, so he started a Kickstarter. But by the time this goes live, the Kickstarter will be done, so too late to to pimp that. But uh, I, I may throw in a couple bucks there, hopefully, and get that off the ground. But yeah, I thought it was well done. He featured a a trumpet player from New York, who I'm pretty sure we've gotten a review copy of him and his brother's band, and he did. You know, the soloing was all great, but you know the uh, ensemble writing was 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 well done, and you know, kept my attention, so I thought it was good. Uh, in terms of pop i've been listening to i finally picked up you probably remember marshall crenshaw from the early 80s yeah. and the song some way mm-hmm. someday you know that was a, a big hit for him in fact his biggest hit did you ever get any of his music did you ever listen to i have not yeah so i picked up his uh self-titled debut and it is it's a very solid album in that mold the other song that i came back to me that i wouldn't have been able to mention was the song Marianne, Marianne, uh, which basically begins with the chords from Sweet Chain, and then he kind of you know goes from there. And it, it's a it's an earworm. You've probably heard that one before. Yeah, you know, there's 12 songs. All of them are very subtly put together. He's got this kind of yearning tenor. It's it's a little piercing. Pretty much all the tunes he he slathered echo on it. And, you know, they say he's kind of out of the school of Buddy Holly. He doesn't quite remind me of Buddy Holly, but it is that sense of kind of timeless, uh, almost pre-Beatles rock. And it was one, you know, I, I guess for some reason I've, I've been reading about Barbara Streisand's biography or autobiography. I have no intention of reading it because it's over a thousand pages. I'm not that into Barbara. And then I read an article about her from like 
1964 High Fidelity when she was just becoming. And I thought, you know, she was someone that walked out and just said at whatever her age was, 19 or whatever, I know what to do. I'm going to be a star and just did it. You know, she's like, she told the director of the play she was in, no, I'm doing the number this way and people are going to love it. And they loved it. And then she started making records and people bought them, you know. And, you know, Marshall Crenshaw is kind of a guy that he was in his mid-30s. He'd been in Beatlemania as John Lennon. Oh, jeez. And someone told him, you need to start writing music. And he did. And, you know, he came up with a really solid album that had a hit. And then, you know, he made some more. And I've listened to the rest of them. I, I but, you know, he just he was kind of hoping that he'd be on this trajectory, and he just he wasn't. He ended up being a, a good, solid singer-songwriter, and, you know, he made maybe a dozen albums over his career, and he's still out there playing shows from time to time, but it just didn't happen that way. It's, it, I, I get the impression he was about as willful and kind of do things my way as, as Barbara was. It's, this is a really good record. It came with a second disc of a couple earlier versions of songs, and then... You're My Favorite Waste of Time, which was on Attack of the Killer Bees, oh, yeah. an album I picked up in the 80s, yeah. you know, which is a I fun tune. Yeah, I remember that. It's, it's, it's a good tune, and apparently it's been covered. I mean, he said that, you know, that he was a little, you could tell he's a little surprised by the life that particular song had, because you could, he tossed it off, uh, kind of multi-tracked himself on a four-track recorder. So it, it's a very good record. It is, you, you can see every now and then you can hear bits and pieces of other songs that he's used. I mean, he transforms them. He's not just copying them. But there's this one thing, it's like, I, I don't like the usual thing. And the very end of it is just the very ending tag of rock and roll music. It, exactly. I just wouldn't bother with you. And it's exactly the way rock and roll music ends. So it's just, you get the sense of like little parts. And it's some, he, he knows what he's doing. I mean, he's not unconsciously doing it. But, you know, that, the voice, and maybe just the sense it's a little bit out of time. I don't know. I mean, it, he's, he's a good songwriter. It's a good album. But it was not the rocket ship to stardom that maybe, you know, everybody was hoping it would be for him. But I had not listened to it, and now I have, and it's pretty good. And the other thing I picked up used in St. Louis was this the Marshall Crenshaw was a new one. They keep reissuing this record. It's like the 15th version of it. Uh, it, it was fine. It's, it's a good vinyl version of it, but there's many out there. Uh, I, I got a copy of Sweet, the group's level-headed. Have you ever listened to Sweet? Yeah, you must know Ballroom Blitz, right? Uh, I think so, yeah. It is an indelible tune. It's just uh, a work of uh, glam bubble genius. So this was a group in England that basically was kind of a... They had songwriters kind of masterminding their career. They performed those guys' songs, and then they broke away. And this is them, completely independent, a couple years down the road, trying to make an M.O.R. concept album. is not quite right in 1978, and it is incredibly brilliant and incredibly stupid all at the same time i it's it's I, do you know love is like oxygen do you know that no. tune it, no. look it up it is an earworm love is like oxygen you get too much you get too high not enough and you're going to die love gets you high and yeah they are the master of metaphors that, or similes that just go wrong <laughs> And it's, I don't know, it's, it's well produced. The bass lines are amazingly fat. The last tune on, on side B is basically an Alan Parsons instrumental with this thrumming bass line. And then the lyrics such as they are, are just reciting the first four letters of the Greek alphabet. It's like, guys, that's not a lyric. Those are just you know, alpha, beta, gamma, delta. It's like, so anyway, I, I, sweet is, it's, 
it's an amazing record. It's also, like I said, incredibly stupid record. If you ever teach poetry, I think you should teach some of their lyrics. <laughs> For instance, Fountain, the tune, which is is kind of a reasonably banging tune. I mean, again, these are melodically pleasant. They are competent musicians. The bass sounds awesome. They're really good at harmonies. But they explained that like gold, your love is the rainbow's end. Flying high like a bird in the sky, your love is the rainbow. Colors of love in the sky. And so I'm like, that's not really mixed metaphors. That's more like metaphors in, in a car wreck. I, I don't know. What. <laughs> is, it, is it at the end of the rainbow? Is it the rainbow? Is it a bird? Is it a bird flying through the rainbow? What? You know, anyway, it, it, it's. But if you sing it in harmony with some fine rock and background from 1978, the kids don't care. So anyway, level headed. For some reason, it's like it's kind of hard to track this record down. It's like not been on CD for years and years and years. I had like a cassette copy of it as a high school kid. I just said, I have dim memories of this. I want to get it. I, the other one I got by them was Desolation Boulevard, which has some of their best known hits, you know, Fox on the Run and Ballroom Blitz, which are just. So those are my recommendations for today. How low can you go? That's as low as we can get. And this includes Jazz Bastard Podcast 281. You can download the podcast from www.jazzbastard.com, from Mixcloud, from Stitcher, from Apple Podcasts, and of course you can stream it at All About Jazz. Look me up sometime at All About Jazz, drop me a line on Facebook, or email me at pat at jazzbastard.com, or reach Mike at mike at jazzbastard.com. Let us know your favorite tuba players and if there are any that weren't born in that weird window in the 40s there. Tune in next time as we talk about a couple archival releases that have come out recently, looking at major artists such as Kyle Shader, Wes Montgomery, Ramsey Lewis, and Grant Green. Until next time, take care. <laughs>